Sidebar with John Duriano. We're sitting with Justin Rains and Robert Gamboa from the Gay Freedom Band celebrating their 40-year anniversary. And I was thinking over the break about um, the days of ACT UP and Queer Nation. And ACT UP and Queer Nation, there were lesbian drummers. And mm-hmm. the lesbian drummers were what kept us marching. Like those big bass drums and those snare drums and those tom-toms. You got 20 women playing drums. We can go anywhere. Mm-hmm. We can conquer anything. And there's something about the power of music. And we were looking it up. Emma Goldman basically said, you don't invite me to your revolution if I can't dance. More or less, right? We looked it up, right? A revolution <laughs> without dancing is not a revolution worth having. That's right. And we can't have a revolution, an LGBT revolution, without music being in the center of it all. So... Tell me a little bit about the racial and ethnic composition uh, of the band. Uh, I can I can say with confidence that we are a living, breathing example of diversity in the city. We have a, a whole racial spread. I mean, I mean, I, I you know, white on the surface. I am. My father was white, but I'm. Uh, I have uh, my mother's Mexican Lebanese, and we have Asian. We have black. We have white. We have everything. We've had trans members before. Uh, we really. It's really a melting pot in, within our organization. No, that's so cool. And you guys rehearse what, once a week? Once a week on Tuesday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 at the First Congregational Church of Los Angeles. That's in Koreatown. That's I know. That's where the Gay Men's Chorus sings as well. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really amazing. And so I think for a lot of LGBT people... If you're not athletic, and by the way, we're having you know gay Olympians in the second half of the show, but if you're not a gay Olympian or you're not a, a lesbian tennis player, one of the two, uh, often in high school, we end up, I don't want, this is going to sound so stereotypical, but I'm just going to say it, a lot of us end up in drama, <laughs> in, in drama, music, <laughs> in glee, what? in glee club, and in band. That's where we end up, and that's where we learn our early lessons about trying to fit in. Yeah. I mean, is that the experience of most people in the band? Are they one-time band players in high school or college? Well, yeah, absolutely. A lot of them came from that 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 world, and, you know, and that is their first. That's I guess their first introduction to like that family element, I guess, so to speak. You know, you have your friends and your family to rely. On and as a young gay person, I'm sure that when you're afraid to come out, that that is something that's very, you know, uh, spiritual for you. You know, what I mean, you need that to to grow and advance as an adult, even. Yeah, is, Robert, were you in a band in high school? Or? I was. I was your stereotypical band nerd. <laughs> I believe it. I love it. I Ever love since it. seventh grade. In fact, I just realized that. Uh, oh, this is in Texas, right? You're, yeah. You're a Latino from Texas. That I think I know your story, yeah. Uh, so 30 years I'll be playing the saxophone next year. Wow. I just It kind of makes me feel really old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but we all do. That's one of the, the beautiful things about this particular band and other musical ensembles is that for a lot of people, there is no other place to go, right? So we a lot of, peop- a lot of us felt like on the outside looking in. And even the band didn't come out necessarily when it was first formed in 1978. It was called the Great American Yankee Freedom Band intentionally. So the uh, Great American Yankee had the big letters G-A-Y right. mm-hmm. because a lot of the public appearances were not very gay friendly. And mm-hmm. so, um, but over the years, the name has changed to now it's the, the Gay Freedom Band. And so many of the people come to us to find this sense of family because they, even in this day and age, don't know how to deal with their anxieties for being LGBTQ or whatever the case may be. And so we're able to create this space and this family for everyone. Right. Yeah. And I was told by one of the, uh, the, the gentleman who preceded me, Bill Masonheimer, that uh, they called it the Great American Freedom Band so you could talk about it at work. You could be like, hey, you're going to go to Freedom Band rehearsal tonight? Oh, yeah, I'll see you there, right? And have a way to, to yeah. do it safely. I love how you were hiding in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Yes. Great American Yankee, G-A-Y. And it was on the bass drum, <laughs> yeah. G-A-Y. And so most people, when they see Great American Yankee and they see this band coming, they were like, oh, you know, that's wonderful. And like the ladies would be clapping, they'd be clapping, and then they would go by with the bass drum with the what the acronym actually meant, G-A-Y, and they were just like... <laughs> What? And what? They just like stopped clapping, <laughs> and there are people in the band who had sp- told them that they didn't think they would make it to the end of the parade without you know being accosted. Some of them. Wow. Oh yeah. Time. Thank God, times have uh, changed. You know, the thing about a band is that no one instrument can stick out above the rest, right? I mean, I mean you can <laughs> tell that to my trumpet players. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. You can say the piccolos. The pickle- oh sound, my God. It doesn't sound great. It doesn't sound. <laughs> How many pieces are in the band? Oh man. So you know. 
uh, right now, I guess at this concert we have seventy one. Wow, that's huge! It is. Well, considering when I when I first started in two thousand and twelve, there were about twelve active members in the band. Twelve oh. active members, and it took a very aggressive. Uh, recruiting campaign to like you know I took a lot of me begging people hey are you gonna come to rehearsal tonight are you gonna come to rehearsal tonight that that eventually it grew like in, in the past six years I guess it's it's gone up I don't know five hundred percent yeah one of the big breaks we had was uh, a community band in Pasadena mm-hmm. actually folded and so Justin just happened to be there at the right time in the right place and they all, all the ones that still wanted to play came in you're a band predator you're looking for <laughs> collapsing bands falling apart in Southern California I we, we, we take in everybody we take them all <laughs> <We do. laughs> I love that I know you've got a concert coming up this weekend this why don't week. you tell our listeners what's coming up so uh, this Sunday on the 21st at 3.30 p.m. at the First Congregational Church of Los Angeles will be our 40th anniversary concert. Woo-hoo! We have special guests. We have guest conductors coming from around the world. We have Jadine Louie, who's coming from, to us from New York, and she's originally from San Francisco. We have Dean McDowell coming to us from the Palm Springs Band. Uh, we have predecessors of mine, uh, Jody Gladstone and Bill Masonheimer, who are also going to be conducting because... The way I looked at it when I programmed this concert, it was, I didn't want, it's not my band. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm new here. So I wanted people to have the history. And so that's the first half of the concert is going to be all history. And it's at 3.30. Uh, uh, all are welcome. Uh, there's a suggested uh, uh, $10 uh, donation at the door. You know, wink, wink. But uh, you can give us whatever you want. Other guests we have as well. We have a soloist, a wonderful tenor soloist on, for the piece, The Nine. Oh, mm. my God. Like, mm. It's going to be earth-shattering for some people. Um, uh, Donald Perry, phenomenal singer. And we also have the West Coast Singers joining us. Oh, that's about, great. Yeah. That's the uh, LGBT. Is it LGBT right. uh, choral mm-hmm. group, right? I believe they, they started as part of our group in the 83 and they broke, branched off in 83. Wow, that's amazing. Robert, are you playing this weekend? I am. I'll play, be playing baritone saxophone. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is so cool. Yep. Well, you guys, I got to tell you, uh, here in L- LGBT Los Angeles, we are very proud of you. 40 years is nothing to uh, wink at. It's really hard. Very few organizations in this city that have that longevity. The MCC churches, of course, Gay Men's Chorus of Los Angeles, the Los Angeles uh, Gay and Lesbian Center, and the Gay Freedom Band. You're right. all over, turning over 40. I can hardly wait for your golden anniversary coming up soon. Uh, yeah. Don't even get me started. This one was a nightmare plan. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hope you all join them for their concert this weekend at the First Congregational Church. You are listening to Sidebar with John Duran on Out Now Radio on your HD radio and radio.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back, gang. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran here on Out Now Radio on your HD radio or radio.com. And we are broadcasting in Los Angeles, San Francisco, San Diego, Las Vegas, Sacramento, and our newest edition, The People in Phoenix. And people in Phoenix and people in Las Vegas, it's election day in three weeks, man. We need you people to vote. <laughs> uh, I mean, I live in liberal West Hollywood. My member of Congress is Adam Schiff. You couldn't get any finer member of Congress. And my U.S. senators are Dianne Feinstein and Kamala Harris. And I feel completely protected as an LGBT person. But Las Vegas, Nevada... Man, we need you all. We need you all. Flip that Dean Heller seat to Jackie Rosen and people in Arizona. You actually have the opportunity to elect the first bisexual member of the U.S. Senate, Kristen Sinema. Yep, you heard me, gang. That's why we're focusing on bisexuality at the top of the next hour. Kristen Sinema, member of Congress, openly bisexual. She is running for U.S. Senate. You know, we've got Tammy Baldwin as an out uh, lesbian U.S. senator in the state of Wisconsin. And if uh, Kristen Cinema prevails, we'll have an open lesbian and open bisexual in the United States Senate, which is going to help us move that Employment Non-Discrimination Act along, even in the darkest days of Trumpism. 
And that's what it's all about. Baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. And speaking of babies, guess what I did today, kids? I was part of the launch of the baby Trump balloon over the city of angels. Yes, I was. I was so, I was so happy. They, uh, they, uh, they launched the balloon. They brought it from London. And uh, Politicon is happening at the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center. And one of them said, who is that crazy mayor that gave the key to the city to Stormy Daniels? He's just crazy enough to probably want to come be part of the baby Trump balloon. And they were right. Man, they clocked me. Of course. As soon as they said, would you like to come help launch the baby Trump balloon? I'm like, what time, where, how? Yes, I am there. And we did it this morning at 7.30 a.m., put it over the Politicon. I I take great pleasure out of knowing that uh, it really irritates Donald Trump, that that baby balloon just irritates him. And the reason we know it irritates him is he doesn't tweet about it. You know, the things that he tweets about, obviously, he didn't care about. But the stuff that really gets at him, he, he tries to hold back until suddenly, in a burst of rage, it'll all come pouring out. So what I do know is that uh, next weekend, there will be four baby Trump balloons launched all across the United States and one mystery city, one mystery city will get the fifth baby Trump balloon. And what's the purpose? Well, to remind everybody all from Maine to California, Hawaii, and Alaska, that the elections are coming up, the midterm elections, probably the most important elections we've seen in a while. And I know what you're saying. Oh, John, you say that every two years. This is the most important. No, this one is the most important election because, you see, the pendulum is swinging to the right. Whoa, it is swinging really hard to the right. When you've got open Nazis marching in Charlottesville with torches, tiki torches. You've got people like that out in the open. When you've got uh, Justice Kavanaugh joining the Supreme Court as the fifth conservative justice, openly declaring war not only on women, but on abortion rights and LGBT rights, and being defiant about it. I mean, would you trust, compared to Justice Kennedy, would you trust Justice Kavanaugh with your future? No, of course not. He's there, gang. He is there. And it appears that Chief Justice John Roberts just wrote a memo that was released to the country saying we are supposed to be about partisan labels, which to me is a cue that the Chief Justice knows now he is the moderate swing vote in the center of the court. If he occupies that center seat like Justice Anthony Kennedy did, he could become one of the most powerful players in the United States, deciding between the four on the left and the four on the right. But don't count on Justice Kavanaugh and Squiggy and Googie and all the other frat boys to protect you. What will the election mean? Well, here's what it means. Right now, the reason we are doing nothing to stop Trumpism is because the Republican Congress refuses to intervene, refuses to interfere. This guy is off the rails. He, he's making a mockery. Uh, of just about every minority community in this country. He is attacking our institutions, attacking the judiciary, attacking our law enforcement agencies, attacking Congress, attacking the press. He is uh, probably, in my mind, mentally ill and extremely unstable and unhealthy. And the fate of the world lies in his hands on everything from global warming to Middle East peace to uh, the fate of the world economy, and he is a lunatic. He is a stark, raving lunatic, and the only thing to keep him in check are the checks and the balances that the founders put into place when they wrote the Constitution, and the primary check is supposed to be Article I, the U.S. Congress. That is the primary check on the presidency to avoid creating a monarchy. And the Republican Congress, they've completely abdicated their responsibility. Why? It's one of their guys, which is ridiculous. Because we've got to remember, when Bill Clinton was in the White House, the Democrats controlled the Congress. They kept him in check on just about everything. So we got don't ask, don't tell. But we'll save that for another show. But the reality is our U.S. Congress is doing nothing. We have got to get out and vote in Nevada, and Arizona, in swing states all over this country. And that means you and me. I already voted. I voted yesterday. I could hardly wait. Just get it done. Put it in the mail. It's done. 
we have got to be the check and the balance because the pendulum, how far right could it go? Well, do you think people in Nazi Germany ever thought that it would end up where it ended up? Or in Mussolini's Italy? Or in Franco's Spain? Without checks and balances, the heart right wing politics that has plagued history, it's possible anywhere, including here. That's why it's critical that we all get out and vote, that we be the check and the balance that the founders were de- they're depending on you and me to get out and vote. And if we do our job, and if we flip 25 seats in the U.S. House, well, then there will automatically be a new speaker, and the new speaker, she or he, will appoint new committee chairs. And Adam Schiff, the representative from West Hollywood, instead of sitting there frustrated and disgruntled about the lack of accountability on the Trump administration, suddenly has the power of the subpoena as the head of the House Intelligence Committee to issue those subpoenas to find out about the treachery and treason that was going on with Russia and the Trump campaign. And if we have a new House majority that's blue, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, our other Los Angeles Congress member, will become the chair of the House Banking and Finance Committee and suddenly have subpoena powers over the Trump family's finances and the way they've been playing very fast and loose with their nonprofits and annulments and the Trump family engaging in international business, selling out our country to benefit their own pocketbooks. Suddenly, we put some accountability back into our country. And that's up to you and me. If we don't vote, if it doesn't happen, we will continue to see not only the escalation of Nazis marching openly, but the sort of hatred that would allow people to laugh. When Trump was talking about Dr. Ford and the terrible experience she had as she told her truth about Justice Kavanaugh, Trump mocked her and his goons laughed at her, a survivor of sexual assault. And they laughed over the battery of a journalist. These people are so spellbound by this lunatic, they'll laugh at anything, and they've got to be held accountable in checks and balances. Election day, right after Halloween, put away your mascara, put away your kinky boots, and you're voting the next week. Don't forget. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, gang. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran. And the producers always remind me, you got to tell them who you are. All right, okay, 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 I'll we'll tell you. So I'm long-term, almost 40 years of LGBT activism and LGBT civil rights lawyer and mayor of West Hollywood for almost 20 years and doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I've been around a while, guys. And we're broadcasting today in L.A., San Francisco, San Diego, Las Vegas, Sacramento, and Phoenix. And I uh, told you before the break that we were going to be putting the B in LGBT today, and we are joined this afternoon by Ian Lawrence Serino, a leader at AMBI. I assume that's American Bi, AMBI? Um, it stands for many different things, but we generally just say it's short for I Am Bi. And uh, we're also joined by uh, Talia Squires, who is the editor of Bi.org, large yes. website. Welcome to you both. So, all right, so I I, I was reading, I, I did my Wikipedia. Oh. I did my Wikipedia <laughs> on bisexuality, even though I've been doing this a long time. I thought I better look up and see what's here. And I, I am aware that there is discrimination against bisexual people, not just from the greater population, but even within the LGBT community, there's some forms of discrimination that you guys just need to pick a side, or you're just confused, or mm-hmm. blah blah blah. You don't exist, or uh, you're you're uh, who you're, knows tourists. you're tourists. You're tourists. <laughs> yes. Oh. I mean, 
tell me a little bit about some of that. Uh, what that what that feels like. I mean, I think that there's a, a perception that bi people are indecisive, like you said, are promiscuous, are uncap- incapable of picking a side or being monogamous or being faithful. Um, and that that perception exists in the straight and the and the queer communities a lot of the time. And I think that there's kind of a very dismissive attitude towards bi people that we just aren't at like the same stage of enlightenment as everyone who came out as completely gay or completely <laughs> lesbian. We're we're still figuring it out, which is of course inaccurate. And so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and and I mean, we, let's just flush this out because we've got two teg- ten minute segments. So let's Excellent. flush this out a little bit. So there is uh, sexual orientation, mm-hmm. meaning how you are probably you know not only born with but then environmentally how you construct your sexual orientation Mm -hmm. but there's also sexual identity Mm -hmm. that may or may not be consistent with your orientation and then there's sexual behavior yes you could actually be gay lesbian bi or trans and have no sex at all Mm -hmm. and still have an orientation or a gender or an identity tell me let's talk about that a bit how how did you let's start with you ian since you're you're closest to me at the moment when did you uh or how did (laughs) i feel like i feel like i'm on my uh, weird show when did you first decide you were bi that's not right tell me about the coming out process coming out as bi well um looking back i of course i didn't have the words for it at the time but i realized i was bi around five or six years old um i was looking at a national geographic in kindergarten and there were pictures of naked people. And I remember thinking, oh, I like both of these. Hmm. And um, At five? At five or six, yeah. You I were an early boy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I might have noticed the elephant in the background. <laughs> I don't think I would have noticed I it. mean, I didn't really know what one did. And I remember thinking, I can't wait till I'm 12 so I can have sex. Because <laughs> I thought that's what adults who were 12 did. But, <laughs> but that was my early, that's my earliest memory of something saying, hmm, I'm probably bi. Wow. Um, although, I, like I said, and I didn't have a lot for a lot of it. gay men and lesbians, too. Yeah. Like early on as children, they have yeah. a sense. Yeah. And that was actually the 70s, before AIDS. And um, it was a lot more... I mean, my parents are very... I mean, I would say they're conservative, but they're not wild and crazy people. But I remember like things being more open and free in a way. And I even remember like my babysitters teaching me disco, and I couldn't wait to, like I could go out to the clubs when I was all grown up. And um, it was kind of when AIDS kicked in that I... That, that big message came back like the worst thing you could possibly be is gay and that for me told me like oh I better push that side of me down mm-hmm. that can't and and because there was no sort of bi role model anyways I thought well I like girls so maybe I'm imagining it like it was it, it's very confusing being in that in between place when there's no clear role models or guides or anyone to look up to let alone you know late 70s early 80s hmm. Talia what about you tell me about when you uh, uh, well unlike Ian I was a very late bloomer <laughs> um, <laughs> two weeks ago yeah, no. <laughs> I'm learning a lot um, I think you know social conditioning I'm I'm attracted to men I always just kind of assumed I was straight and then I think we've all said like oh well I'd be gay for Angelina Jolie in Tomb Raider, or I'd be gay for that cute barista, or, and I realized this list was getting longer and longer and longer, and then I started acting on this list, and I'm like, you know, at some point, I can't say I'm straight, but at some (laughs) point, I think I'm actually just bi. Hmm. Um, But I think, again, what Ian was saying, there was a lack of representation of role models. It wasn't even an an option to be aware of, Um, and I was in a women's college at the same time that was very dismissive of bisexuality, the culture there was. Because of feminism? Was it feminism that... yeah, I mean it was a very it was a very queer college. We had we had this phrase called bugs and lugs, bisexual or lesbian until graduation. And, <laughs> oh dear. I know. I also really like the phrase. It's it's a hard one for me to take issue with. But I think that it very much reflected this idea that you're just you're just dabbling in this queer space that you don't really belong, that you're a dilettante. Right. And um, so yeah, it took me a little while, like, oh well, I'm not just a dilettante. Like I can like men and women and that's that's okay and that's that's fine. You know, and, and I remind gay men because okay, I'm a I'm with they call the gold star gay meaning i've never had sex with a woman just mm-hmm. you know i just never happened but i have a lot of gay male friends who have had sex with women you know at whatever age and for whatever reason but now their behavior is 100 percent gay and they they see their orientation identity and behavior all in one category even though they didn't really dabble but they they i guess experimented mm-hmm. so because one has sex with somebody of the opposite gender in the lgbt community doesn't necessarily even mean you're bi Right, I mean, would these guys uh, that have maybe or well, maybe I'm wrong? I mean, we like to let 
leave that to the individual to decide on their own. Um, you know, if you're starting to do like, you know, sex research and try to figure out what's going on, identity may or may not be 100% accurate. Um, for instance, Elisa Diamond is a famous researcher on sexual orientation, and she's done some studies um, in Utah. She's at the University of Utah, and she found that a quarter of uh, gay or lesbian-identified college students had had straight sex in the last year. So there's some blurry lines there. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Now, I mean, we, I guess if we go back and look at Alfred Kinsey, Kinsey was maybe the first one who started. Uh, look at a continuum, right? Yeah. Zero being completely heterosexual, six being completely homosexual, and then kind of one through five were somewhere in between. Is that the first with scientific recognition of bisexuality or does something predate that? Well, I mean, the word bisexuality itself came in the 1890s because they first came with the word homosexual because they thought there was somehow this inversion of straightness, but then they kept finding all these people that didn't fit that model either, so they had to come up with a word to account for people whose attractions weren't limited to one sex. Hmm. And I mean, if we go back to the ancient Greeks and ancient Romans, right, there, there was not a binary. You didn't have to pick one or the other. Absolutely not. Of course, there were all sorts of problems then. Women were subjugated, <laughs> and people Slavery. were slaves, and all sorts of other societal problems. Hygiene. But, but I, yeah, 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 exactly. So that, that, that's really interesting to me. Um, Talia, you run this website. Mm-hmm. What, what are the – oh, we're going to have to cut the commercial break in about 30 seconds. But maybe when we come back, you can tell me about the website and yeah. people who visit it and what they post about. Mm-hmm. Because I'm guessing a lot of our listeners are, are primarily lesbian and gay and not as many bi or trans. And I'm yeah. – guessing they're learning as I'm learning as we're doing mm-hmm. this. So we'll do that when we get back from Commercial Gang. You're listening to Out Now Radio. John Duran with Sidebar on HD Radio and Radio.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Sidebar with John Duran, and we are focusing on bisexuality. And right before the break, I told Talia I want to hear a little bit about her website because I think that's where we get a lot of probably current issues for bisexuals. So, Talia? Yeah, I mean... I was so excited to start working on this project a few years ago, and my kind of quick spiel is, it used to be when I was younger and Googling bisexual, you'd get a lot of porn, almost exclusively, huge amounts of porn. Um, and now if you Google bisexual, you actually find an informative website called bi.org. Which is yours. Which is mine. <laughs> and uh, it's really exciting to like beat the porn a little bit. Not that porn's not great, but um, time <laughs> and place. It's got its time and place. Yeah, yeah, time and place. Just, you know, when you're trying to find out who you are, it's nice to have other visibility. We, we were talking during the break that uh, that uh, bisexual men and bisexual women sometimes end up here differently. Mm-hmm. That for a lot of bisexual men, they first possibly identify as gay men yeah. and then move over, gravitate over to bisexual male. And, and women, the same path, different path, or... What's it like? I mean, I think for women, it's the societal perception of being bi as a woman is that it's it's sexy or it's cute. It's it's more socially acceptable, so a lot more women are out as bi. I think there's a greater acceptance of sexual fluidity in women. Um, I mean, so the problem is that if you come out as a woman as bi, the first question some lovely gentleman at the bar will ask you is for a threesome, inevitably. Oh my and it's God. always two girls wow. and a guy. They're never asking for another guy to join. That's right. They're not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, but there are a lot more women out as bi. And that's been perpetuated in the bi porn, by the way. It has yes. been. So every yes. Every man's fantasy is to have two women. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what he plans to do once he gets there, but that's, <laughs> he's excited. Yeah. That is amazing. Now, you brought up Angelina Jolie. She's actually a very high profile bisexual is, yes. in this country. I was hoping Brad Pitt was too, but I was there, disappointed. There are rumors. <laughs> Oh, Ian, don't get my heart going. Oh, my God. And there's some fairly solid rumors. We'll leave it at that. Sorry, no libel. Wow, no libel. It's all rumor, all rumor, kids. All rumor, 
alleged, alleged. All rumor. Wow. <laughs> that is amazing. So um, t- let's talk a bit about uh, the issues around, I mean, is there advocacy or, or issues that uh, the Ambi, Ambi, am I saying it right? I am by. I am by. So we go both ways, Ambi or Ambi. <laughs> um, I, of course you do. So actually, there are, there are various activist groups, and um, as I was telling you also during the break, there's kind of like a... We both have a background that's kind of a mess of a bunch of different organizations that do yes. different things under different hats. But um, Ambi's specific purpose is to fi- have it be a place whereby people can belong, have affirmation, and kind of just ground themselves in their bisexuality and be happy about it and feel good about it and make it part of their lives. Because we don't really have a lot of spaces for that. Pretty much all bi groups, and I actually have been researching this internationally, they're like, okay, you're bi, now you now you are fighting for social justice, now you do all these political things, which is important. But a lot of people are still figuring out like, well, how do I live this? What do I do? What do I tell people? How, who am I dating? How do I make this work? So we're, we're the place where we try to make bi people like come together in our oasis and be strong and happy, oh. and then be able to do other kind of advocacies and stuff like that. And I'm guessing the website is a great place for that community to it gather. Is. We have an amazing online community both on ambi and bi.org and um our face our bi.org facebook page has 1.3 million something like that followers now yeah um and it's just the response we've gotten has been incredible and it's really exciting too because it's a very young group of people who are who are interacting with us like it gives me a lot of hope and excitement (laughs) yeah the site's amazing i actually started it on my couch in 2012 um and then i remember like oh I have to do this Facebook thing and when I got, we first got like a hundred followers I was so excited and and now when we go to LGBT conferences people know who it is they don't know who the people behind it are but they they've heard of it everyone kind of knows about it it's really exciting and the the dream was to try to reach kids you know when they are teens even preteens that they see an affirming message about bisexuality before they get sort of the hate in a sense or get told, oh no, you really have to be gay or lesbian. So they see something positive that sometimes it's even funny or makes jokes that it's just somehow there and it's normalized and it's okay. And that's again where I, th- that's sort of the common thread between Ambi and bi.org or actually it's, we're still under the banner of bisexual.org. We're, we're changing um, early next year, new year, new website. But um, just that idea that it's not about like, necessarily I mean yes there are all these different social issues but we want people to have a place to feel good and feel happy and feel that they belong and model kind of the, the way we want bisexuality to be seen and be felt in the world hmm. I, I had a I have a friend she's a very strong-willed lesbian <laughs> feminist mm-hmm. who almost feels angry about bisexual women yes. and to yeah. me it's completely <laughs> irrational yes. It's irrational that anybody who's been the victim of discrimination would then want to discriminate. Mm-hmm. What What is it, do you think, that's at the core of that within the LGBT community? I think, I mean, we could talk about this for a few hours. <laughs> I think there's a lot of things. Cancel your next guest. Um, I think one of the things that happened is when the LGBT rights movement started, there was this narrative of you have no choice. You, you, you're born this way, and therefore you deserve rights, and you deserve equality. And bisexuality really complicates that conversation because you're still born bi or you're still hardwired in some way to be bi-ish. Um, but you, people ask, like, well, why don't you just choose to be something? Why don't you just choose a team? Right. And if you can choose a team, you don't deserve the same respect in a way. And I think there's a generational divide around that. Hmm. Um, people who experience different degrees of discrimination throughout their lives, I think you really see a different acceptance towards bisexuality as well. Huh. It kind of correlates with that. And what about the notion of pansexuality? What, what, tell me, what, what, what does that mean? Because I heard that, and I, oh, my first boyfriend wait, was Peter Pan at Disneyland. Okay, there you go. Last week, but that, that's um, not what it's about, I'm sure. That can be a touchy topic depending on who you're talking to. I, I like to go with the angle that you can use more than one identity label, and it's all good, and we're all happy, and we all belong together. Um, they come from kind of a political backgrounds that are different. I mean, as we m- talked about earlier, bisexuality is actually a term that comes from the 1890s, um, and it kind of... In, at its core, at least the original meaning was basically saying, like, in a sense, people with bodily configurations with whom you could possibly make babies and you could say, OK, this is like an evolutionary thing and people who don't. So it, um, it's kind of like all basically means all bodies. But now the way the conversations evolved, it's much more about focusing on gender, which is more of a cultural and personal practice that's you know tied to things like class and society that you live in and era and all these kinds of things and pan in a sense means all genders so i like for me it's you know is it six or half a dozen they're in the end they mean the same thing 
Do you think bisexuals have a greater deal of sensitivity and compassion? I mean, I don't want to say like the two-spirited Native Americans, or but obviously if you're able to relate to both women and men, because I want to get us outside of the talk about sex, because obviously mm-hmm. bi people are not just about sex relations, yes. or intimate relations. There's so much more. Do you? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know because I'm not bi. I'm just gay. But I have to say for me that like I have uh, a lot of, an unusual proportion of male and female friends in that like they're about equal my closest friends fall on both and I think that is partially because I am bi because I can't rule people out of the best friend zone because we could potentially like mash up genitals because um, that's everyone <laughs> so <laughs> sorry was that too graphic no, like, no, that is fun. not on one of the 13 <laughs> words forbidden on this station um, yeah. but it's made me kind of reevaluate okay what is a platonic friendship what is a romantic friendship what is this whole idea of friend zoning or whatever and be really comfortable with the idea that I have very very close male and female friends and that are completely platonic and wonderful relationships hmm. You too, Ian? Yeah, and also, I think for me, what was kind of an eye-opener, too, is the idea that sexuality is not just about people you actually have full-blown sex with. It's kind of who you can bond with, where you feel that closeness to. And, yeah, for me, it's just the gender isn't this hard divide. It doesn't really matter. It's just who the person is. Hmm. Hmm. That's in, that, that's yeah. really uh, interesting to me. I, I got to tell you, I, I came out at a time in the 70s. I mm-hmm. guess I'm that old. I came out in the 70s, and we had two very separate worlds. Gay men in the bathhouses and the bars and lesbian women organizing around the ERA. And bi was just starting to be talked about. But normally it was the whole idea of, you know, if I say I'm bi, I at least have a little bit of safety or security Mm -hmm. as I'm exploring my sexuality. But now it almost feels like you start to say I am bi, you got to put up a shield for a different set of reasons uh, from different parts of the community. Yeah, you get hostility from different people, people that, like Talia said, want you to pick a side. Um, I think people bring their own personal pain and narratives in there, you know, kind of giving up on the idea of the white picket fence and the heteronormative life, Mm -hmm. and they somehow see us as trying to have both, but at least how I live my bi life, there's nothing white picket fence and heteronormative <laughs> about it. Like it, it kind of blows away the boundaries and opens the doors yeah. and it's not about anything safe. Okay. Now I'm curious. <laughs> We're almost out of time. We're almost out of time on that. Um, if somebody is listening and he or she thinks that this conversation has produced a question in their own head about possibly being bisexual, what would you recommend that he or she do? I mean, I would definitely check out Bi.org's online community, and we respond to our messages on there. Come check out our website, and um, I don't know. And try to tweet find at pe- me, Talia A. Squire. Send me yes. a tweet, and I will respond to your bi questions. And I'm Ian Lorino <laughs> okay. on there. And no one can spell that. No one can spell it. <laughs> Yeah. I got to work on that, huh? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or you've got a Facebook page. It sounds like as well. They can oh yeah, we're on we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with Ambi and with bisexual.org/bi.org. That's so cool. All right, we're putting the B and the LGBTQIQ squared today, gang. So <laughs> you're listening to Sidebar with John Duran on Out Now Radio on your HD radio and radio.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. I've got Olympians, gay Olympians from the gay games who took home gold to soccer players. And those of you that are listening, if you had a television and you were watching the video, there are gorgeous guys in the booth with me. <laughs> I know, gorgeous guy. Actually, all the guests today have been gorgeous, but that's just part of being LGBT, I think. We have Chris Fajardo and Alex Alvendia from the soccer team. You guys won gold in Paris, yeah? We, d- we did, yeah. So the 10th annual, or not 10th annual, so the 10th gay games was in uh, Paris, France this, uh, this year in August. Um, we brought back the gold for Los Angeles. Very excited about that. That's awesome. Yeah, That's yeah. Awesome. So it was about, what was it, 32 teams, Chris? Yep, 32 teams. Wow, that, that is amazing. How many athletes participated in the Paris Games? Oh, 10,000 athletes? I think it was 10, over 10,000. Yeah, and, and I mean, over basically all the sports you would see at the, quote, straight Olympics, um, you, you would see pretty much at, at the gay games, which 
used to be called the Gay Olympics until they got sued by the actual they Olympics. They did. Actually, yeah. it was a friend of mine, Dr. Thomas Waddell, who lived down in San Diego, who started the Gay Olympics back in the 70s. He got sued by the International Olympic Committee for taking the appropriation of the word Olympics, and that's when it got changed to the games. Mm-hmm. Sadly, we lost him in the uh, in the AIDS epidemic, but obviously the games have gone on and continued on. That's it's so been a fantastic cool. legacy, obviously. Him. Who did him. you play for the final uh, the final game? <sighs> Who did Manchester. Manchester. Oh my God. Manchester, Blinked England. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, Los Angeles beat Manchester, England. That's, that's right. amazing. <laughs> that, I want to talk a little bit about the mythology, because you know what? I think if there's ever a, a, a myth about LGBT people out there, it's that we can't play sports, that we're not good at sports, that we're not good at anything that requires athleticism, and that's just false. It's not true. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Did you play in high school or college, uh, Alex? Tell me about that. I mean, I think Chris and I have both been playing since, I mean, for me, I've been playing since I was four. Actually, same age. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't out at four. So <laughs> I, mean, I don't know about you, Chris. I can't speak for, can't speak for you, but. Um, <laughs> Depends on who you ask. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe mom knew better. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a stereotype that I think that gay athletes always have to struggle with is that you're constantly having to, to, to fight, not just on the, on the field, on the pitch, but also just the perception of what it means to be an athlete and to also be LGBT identifying is, is that, you know, we're seen as being delicate, is, you know, especially men, you know, it, it's, it's, you have to rectify, you have to kind of reconcile this very masculine version of, of being a man versus athleticism and gay doesn't really fit in there. Right, uh, right. And so, so, being a gay athlete is really kind of breaking down those barriers and those walls between what it means to be gay and an athlete and kind of merge these identities that for a long time have always been very, very separate, in, especially in American culture. Right. Chris, where were you raised? You were raised here in Los Angeles? or No, I'm from the San Francisco San Francisco. Area. And you were playing in high school or grade yep. school? I played or? through through high school, went to college at UC Santa Cruz, played club soccer there. And then when I came, so I lived out of the country for a year. When I came back, I found our sister club, which is the San Francisco Spikes. So I played with them for uh, about seven, eight years before I moved to L.A. and, and joined the West Hollywood Soccer Club. Wow, very, very cool. You know, yeah. when I think about famous LGBT athletes, I, I mean, I think of Billy Bean for mm-hmm. baseball and uh, Billie Jean King mm-hmm. for tennis, Martina Navratilova for tennis. Greg Luganis. Greg Luganis, a very good friend of mine. Oh, good idea. I'm going to have him come on a show. That's yeah. a great idea. <laughs> I actually just saw him yesterday. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's at the LA 84 Summit talking about LGBT sports. Wow, very, very cool. There's actually an organization, isn't there, that advocates for LGBT athletes, isn't there? There's a number of different organizations um, you Can Play is one of them that has a lot of different athletes, professional athletes that are part of it. And the whole idea is that if you can play, you should play. And so, I mean, I'm actually on the regional board for it. I mean, it's an amazing organization. The Trevor Project, you know, is about advocacy and definitely talks about sports as well. Um, and there's a few others that definitely, you know, are, are behind players. And I think to one of the things that Alex said, I think one of the things as a gay athlete that you learn early on is resiliency. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that you you learn young and you tap into. And I think it separates a lot of adult gay athletes because, I mean, you to be elite at your sport, like you have to be able to be resilient because mm-hmm. um, it's not easy to not be paid and to travel, especially to Paris mm-hmm. and, and play. It takes a lot of dedication and like you need to be able to pull your resources to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Where are the games next time? Hong Kong. Yep. Hong Kong mm-hmm. 2020? 20. Yeah. 2020. Now you guys Two. both look. Are you in your twenties, or are you, will you be yes. playing? <laughs> Whoa! Oh, obviously they are, gay. they are. Gay. How dare you? We're not in our thirties. How dare you? <laughs> will you be going to Hong Kong? Well, Alex is in his twenties. <laughs> Chris, you're just I'm, hanging on by a fingernail. Oh my god! I felt like I was hanging on by a th- fingernail this time. Um, I will be thirty nine for the next one. So. Maybe I'll be coaching. Maybe I'll be oh shut up holding you know you're on gonna to go the and subs. compete just like the rest of us. Yeah, you know, I, <laughs> if it's this group of guys, which we have a really young team, like I'd be so honored mm-hmm. to be a part of it. So definitely have my sights on it. I'm just going to be training that much harder <laughs> to yeah. make sure I can I, be there. I mean, the older, I mean, the reality is, the older you get physically, your body is not as mm-hmm. what it was when you're in your 20s. Yeah. Right? The yeah. risk, isn't there a greater risk of injury or greater risk Absolutely. of yeah. harm? So. So uh, what is it for LGBT athletes? There's like a, a window period where you're good to play? And- There's no gay death for gay athletes, if that's what you're asking yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, actually what I really appreciate about it, and I, I didn't really expect this, is that 
you know, you, you think about athleticism, you think about gay athletes, you're just athletes in general, you think kind of a very specific time frame. But I, I don't know about you, Chris, I really appreciated the, the diversity, not just of cultures and people, but also the age spread, mm-hmm. you know, where, where there were still people who loved playing soccer, who loved playing football, who were there and were in their 40s, their 50s. And, you know, they were they were playing with t- young 20s. You know, we have a guy on our team who's like barely 22. And, yeah. you know, and he was our main goal scorer. Uh, and, and, I, and I really appreciated that, like, here you have this environment of people who no matter what age, what gender, what sexuality, what orientation, you can come and be an athlete and really mm-hmm. play in that space and be who you want to be. Um, and for some of them, that was really the first time that they could do wow. that. We're talking to Alex Alvendia and Chris Fajardo, Gay Olympian Soccer. You're listening to Out Now Radio on your HD radio and radio.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Broadcasting LA, San Francisco, San Diego, Las Vegas, Sacramento, and Phoenix. And we are talking to two champions, gold medalists from the soccer uh, team here in Los Angeles who took gold at the Paris Games. Alex Alvendia and Chris Fajardo. Guys, you were just mentioning while we were away at break that you compete with a lot of heterosexual teams here locally in Los Angeles. Do they all know you're the gay team? I mean, is there anything, <laughs> anything, any mention of that? Any weirdness about that? I don't know if I've experienced any weirdness. I feel at this point, they have to know. But I mean, we're not... I mean, we see like, yes, queen on the sidelines. I mean, it's kind of yeah, hard yes, not... Yes, queen yeah, on it's the like sidelines. Yeah. It's hard to mistake that. We're all like patting <laughs> yeah. each other on the, yeah, on the butts. The ball, and like, girl. Not, you're right. I'm kidding, <laughs> yeah, I'm literally, though, literally, though. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. Like, I guess like not, not a kidding. joke. It's totally true. <laughs> no, it's amazing. I mean, like, and we, all have, we all have our own nicknames for each other. I mean, there's Eric, who's Erica... I'm Christina. I mean, like, everybody has, like, their... I mean, so they they have to be, like... Someone has to pick up on something. Yeah, at some point. Okay, or maybe maybe they don't. But But again, this is L.A. This is L.A., so who knows? I mean, there's a lot of heteroflexible people in L.A. What does it matter? Yeah, (laughs) that's amazing. So tell me about winning the gold medal, because at some point, it must have sunk in that, oh, my God, we are the top champions of the world in soccer. It still has not sunk in. <laughs> no, no. Every day, it just you, you kind of go through life and you're like, wait, I have this title for the next four years. Like, no one can claim this for me, that, that I'm one of the best 18, 16, 18 gay soccer players in the world right now. That it's a very, very surreal Chris experience. brought his gold medal in. We were looking at it during the break. It's beautiful, everybody. It's, it's heavy. It's yeah. a gorgeous gold medal. It's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. When do you guys practice, if somebody's listening and uh, he or she thinks, hey, I can play soccer, or when do you guys practice and how do, how, does, how do they join? Yeah, so so uh, the, the website is the best way that we oftentimes are able to kind of publish and post our, our annual or our, kind of our weekly practices. Um, it kind of changes from from time to time, but we are very, very fortunate. Actually, Chris Chris able to kind of, to kind of secure this. We have a, a practice coming up every day, every Saturday moving forward. So we're really excited about that. And that information will be on the website. And one thing I'd point out is that you know, if you haven't played soccer before or interested in learning how to play, like we welcome all levels. Mm-hmm. And so like we can, you know, find a spot for you, um, have you work with one of the players that, you know, has been playing for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're totally open to anybody who's interested. And there's all kinds of other sports too, right? I mean, there's dodgeball and there's volleyball and there all these LGBT teams in just about every sport mm-hmm. imaginable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? yeah. So, I mean, we engage with a lot of different teams that are in LA. So we are definitely focused on the soccer piece, but there's Lambda basketball, uh, Lava, which is volleyball, like all of our sister teams and sister sports, like we're engaging with all the time. And there's actually a tournament that we put on every Labor Day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the West Hollywood sports festival and so we run the soccer piece but all the different sports that you mentioned have their own place within it as well oh, that's really cool now los angeles is getting the olympics come the year 20 2028 2028 oh so excited so how do we fit in where do we fit in to the everywhere. fact that the olympics are coming in everywhere i mean i think that's the reality right is that as gay athletes i mean hopefully there's a day where we don't have to have our own olympics right where we can have openly gay athletes playing and competing at the olympics in in a very normalized fashion. And I think that's what Chris and I really aim to do in our, our work with our club is kind of normalize our experience that we are gay athletes. And yes, we want our own space, but we also want to be seen 
in the same way as 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 athletes uh, first and foremost in that kind of that context who just happen to be gay and who you know have all these other identities attached to us as well very cool and what if you have two left feet like me and you have absolutely no coordination at all this is not my strength are there opportunities for people to volunteer and get involved with the team if they're not particularly athletic yeah i mean there's lots of opportunities and um, we actually have a member of our board who isn't a soccer player but loves the guys on our team that are mm-hmm. part of the club and you know helps us find space like he helps us you know do stuff um, on the administrative end so i'd say you know if you aren't coordinated but want to learn how to play like there's definitely a space for you for that um if you're interested in just being a fan and coming out to you know our our actual games or coming out to socials like we would love for you to do that and then fundraisers fundraisers like <laughs> and that information's on the website mm-hmm. um and then we're always looking for supporters you know like right now and always like we've paid our way to go to paris um mm-hmm. we do I think five different domestic tournaments a year and all of those costs are on the players. And so, you know, if there's anybody who is interested in supporting, um, we'd love that. And that, again, that information to donate would be on the website as well. Very, very cool. What's the name of the website? WeHoSC.org. WeHo Soccer Club, SC, WeHoSC.org. Got it. Very, very, very cool. Well, I mean, I got to say, it is a pleasure to have you both here. Congratulations on winning the gold medal. Uh, thank you for helping break down the myths around LGBT people not being athletic, uh, although I seem to reinforce that myth. <laughs> I can lift weights. That's uh, this muscle I have. There's a sport at the gay gates for that. It's uh, just so for maybe show. you Is go for really? that. Yes, yeah, I can compete in the weightlifting category. <laughs> great, great. That's awesome. Well, we have less than two minutes, gang, and I promised Fred and Jason that I would promote Halloween 13 before the end of the show. <laughs> Halloween 13, next Friday, October the 26th. Get your tickets 2,000 yes 2,000 gay men and their friends I gotta say last year I noticed about 10% 20% lesbian so the women are getting into Halloween too but come on let's face it this is a holy day of obligation in the LGBT community (laughs) Halloween and next week's show will be all about All Hallows Eve and why will it be all about All Hallows Eve because if you know your LGBT history then you know the witches they burned at the stake and the warlocks that they drowned drowned in the ponds those were our people anybody that was different anybody that was same sex identified in terms of attraction automatically got the label witch or warlock something satanic something evil something to be despised and halloween night is our night to claim that back honor it claim our history and you know what who doesn't like to get dressed up in heels and makeup and a wig and go out onto Santa Monica Boulevard it is our holiest of nights Halloween Eve and West Hollywood Santa Monica Boulevard Halloween night 400,000 people and yours truly John Duran I get to crown the king or queen of the carnival and they haven't even told me who it's going to be but I am looking forward to that so next Friday we will have our Halloween show and I have some surprises for you all for Halloween. So until then, stay tuned to Out Now Radio on your HD radio and radio.com and we'll see you all next week.